Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Following our live event co-hosted with Wales TUC featuring Mick Lynch, we hosted a Hiraith podcast live featuring Shavana Taj of the Wales TUC and Welsh Labour's Sarah Murphy, member of the Senedd for Bridgend and Porthcawl. We discussed strikes, solidarity and social partnership. Thank you so much to everybody for coming here today. Uh, now we're going to do a panel and a live recording of the Here Life podcast. Uh, we're joined by Sarah Murphy, the member of the Senate for Bridgend and Porthcawl. Don't worry, I wasn't going to forget that bit. Here with us today, and Shavtaj, the General Secretary of the Wales TUC. Thanks both of you for coming on and speaking with us today. I'm going to start with a nice, easy question now. How would you describe the state of industrial relations in the UK at the moment? Shav? <laughs> It's <laughs> a loaded question, eh? Oh, wow, that's a nice warm-up. <laughs> ah, OK, well, I think um, all you have to do is turn your telly on to know what the state of industrial relations is like. Um, it feels like Groundhog Day. Every time you, you change a channel, and it's the same sort of stuff that you, that you see. But it's not just what you see on the television, but it's uh, what you see on the street. You've seen the number of picket lines that have been increasing. You're seeing uh, the different types of workers that are coming out um, on strike. Um, it is in um, one particular worker specifically. It is in one particular sector specifically. Um, so we've had industrial action in, in the public sector and the private sector. I would say that uh, industrial relations right now are um, uh, intense. And I think that there has been, um, this has been almost, this has been building over time. So it's not something that's just happened. So anyone in this room who's a trade union rep who's ever negotiated or tried to negotiate a deal, you knew, you know fully well how tough it's been over the past decade. And um, workers, uh, for the average worker, public sector worker in particular, um, their wages have gone, since 2009, have gone down by at least 20% plus. Um, and uh, UCU... Um, you know, they've done some analysis recently and they're saying, you know, that that equates to about 12 grand that's currently being held back uh, by universities uh, for, for the average uh, university worker. And that basically means that the universities that are still raking money in, they're still making profit, uh, but that is not being returned to the individual. So um, the, the situation for, um, for us is it's hard, it's tough. But the one thing that I would say for industrial relations, and it goes back to what Mick was saying earlier on and what he has said previously, is that um, we are seeing a, um, a rise in the organised labour um, in the UK, in Wales as well. We are seeing um, more diversity amongst our uh, trade union reps and our membership. And membership, of course, has grown in Wales. So over the last year alone, our membership is now 400,000 plus. Um, we were the only uh, part of the whole of, uh, of, of Britain where we saw um, an increase. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that that is, still continues to be the case. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that we've got some really difficult um, ballot thresholds. We've also got a, a government at a Westminster level that is completely uh, married to uh, continuing to drop bombs on, on the heads of working people. So um, we have to be very, very careful that we don't fall into some of their traps um, and start believing some of the narrative that continues to be peddled. 
Yes. So Shav talked about Wales there. Sarah, how would you compare that situation that we see in the UK at large to what we have here in Wales? Well, it was going to follow on from what you were saying then, Shav, because I agree with everything that you're saying. But the big issue that we have here as well is that whilst we're all on the picket lines, focused, and like you said, the reps are focused on getting those negotiations. I've had to write these all down, okay? So because there's so many of them. There's a two-pronged attack here that's happening by the UK government. And while we're focusing on that, as we should be, they are going to now try and put through a basic level of service bill, a public order bill, a bill of rights. Um, they're going to do a retained EU law bill, uh, the online safety bill, the Elections Act. So that's, what, five, six pieces of legislation, which, as, as they're going out, because they know that they're about to lose, they're going to slash and burn everything. Just the EU retained law. They could just they, they can make their own minds up. They don't have to do any consultation. They don't have to ask any experts. And the kind of stuff that we could be losing under that is maternity pay, holiday pay, equal pay. So that's the other thing about this, is that whilst all of this is happening, the industrial action is happening, they are going to decimate everything. We're not doing that well. So much has been made of the UK government's announcement to have this minimum staffing level. How, how does that differ in practicality to the legislation the Senate passed a couple of terms ago on minimum staffing levels for nurses? The minimum staffing that the UK government are talking about is that they're going to stop people from being able to strike unless they can meet a target of minimum staffing that the employer actually sets. So they can set it at whatever they want and then if they can't reach it, they can actually sack them then for not turning up. So it completely undermines the way that you can, it basically means that you can't uh, withdraw your labour, you can't do collective bargaining. The minimum staffing level that we have in Wales means that you have to have a minimum staffing that is set by not by the employer to decide how to be able to keep it running which and to be fair like that's what nurses and everyone who's been striking is absolutely committed to as well so much has been made of the social partnership approach of the welsh government uh, what kind of influence does that have on how the welsh government approach industrial relations um, so what does social partnership actually mean so it's something that we've been doing for a very long time since we've had devolution we've operated on the basis of social partnership really it's what we refer to often as the welsh way the welsh way is basically we all sit down in a room and we have we talk to each other in, in similar sort of fashion like this and um, we can agree to disagree uh, but equally we can find ways and means forward mm -hmm. um, and so i think for me uh, the covid period in particular was a, a real strong example of what social partnership looks like in action so whilst at a, at a uk level there were um, lots of issues around health and safety um, and we managed to make sure the workers in Wales were being better protected. Um, so things like um, when it even came to PPE, there, was, there were issues to begin with. And we did as unions have to come out and you know, exercise a bit of you know, our industrial muscle and say, well, if, if, if we don't have prop, a proper system in place and real clarity over the type of PPE, for example, that is going to be needed in different sectors, if we don't actually know where the PPE is going to be um, landing, who is going to get it and at what time and everything, then we are going to have a problem. So the Welsh Government did listen to us at that time and um, through social partnership, we started to deal with these types of issues. So that meant you had Welsh Government, you had the unions and you had employer organisations um, and, and, and others as well um, involved. Things have progressively um, have moved on since then. The Welsh Government is going to now um, embed social partnership into legislation. 
it's, it's really a framework that allows you to have decent industrial relations. Unlike what we're seeing at a United Kingdom level, where, yes, the TUC managed to negotiate furlough, for example, but there were so many other things that could have happened you know, after that if we'd had a different government at a, at a UK level, then I think, I think it would have been more like what happened here. And that's not to say it was perfect, and that's not to say it's not, you know, it still is perfect, it's not. But where we have seen social partnership work, so for example, when it comes to Transport for Wales, um, we have managed to negotiate um, uh, an agreement. And so um, we've done a deal um, and for, the, for the railway workers. Um, we've managed to have a deal for local government. But of course, the NHS is still in dispute. And of course, the education sector is in dispute as well. So um, we'll get but, back to that. Yeah, <laughs> but that's but these 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 are big things, aren't they? And, and quite a lot of this is about fund, you know, fundamentally about funding. But I think that our principles and our values in Wales are very, very different. So, Sarah, obviously, recently, the first minister announced that the social partnership and public procurement bill will hopefully complete all its Senate stages in March. Yeah. What have been some of the big challenges getting that legislation through? Well, we've actually got our big kind of moment um, on Monday, which is when we'll be going through the amendments that the government has put in, like Cymru, Jane Dodds and the Conservatives. So that's going to be really interesting to see the amendments that come in. Um, I think, um, you know, some of the some of the kind of... It hasn't been so much issues. I think that people have wanted to try to see what they could fit in. And the issue that there has been, I would say, for the Deputy Minister, Hannah Blythen, is that we have to be so careful with the competencies that we have, because especially with the UK government that we have at the moment, and we've seen them do this with the Scottish government and they're threatening to do it now, if we overstep, or if they think that we've overstepped into anything, then they will just hold it up in, in the courts for as long as they can. So that's been quite difficult balancing that. Um, I would say, you know, one of the ideas that I had, and... You know, I know the TUC has done a lot of work on this as well. I'm big about uh, workplace surveillance, you know, and we had subcommittees on this. So one of the only prescribed subcommittees then will be in legislation is the procurement part of it. And, you know, in the Scottish version, there is sustainability included in it. Um, actually, one of the amendments that we've got is that there should be a subcommittee to do with the barriers to access and work. I would have liked to have seen something around, like, the future of technology, possibly, you know, something like that. But at the end of the day... If you start giving a list like that, you could end up with like eight or nine, prescribing eight or nine subcommittees. And like Shav said, the whole purpose of this is that the Social Partnership Council comes together and decides this for themselves. This bill is a framework. It gives scope. Um, it gives a duty to public bodies to actually engage with it as well and to reach targets, especially around procurement. But at the end of the day, you know, people are going to have to come to the table with an open mind, with trust and with respect. And like Shav said, getting together and having those conversations. And you can't legislate for that bit. So that's the only thing I would say. I mean, you know, I was a little bit, you know, kind of... You know, I was so passionate about it. But at some point, you have to go, like, that's my own ego a little bit. And you have to be like, no, this is something that the Social Partnership Council itself should decide itself. So, yeah, and I, I, I will be honest as well, and I know Shab's probably aware of this too, you know, there's these nine seats, I think, for trade unions, and it's where that's going to have a balance now between affiliated and non-affiliated trade unions. That's definitely a discussion that's happening too. We've got to go back to nurses. Obviously, we've seen a raft of strike action from uh, the RCN, as well as this week announcements of strike working uh, strikes in the teaching sector. 
you know, it's all well and good talking about this social partnership approach and how that's worked in some devolved areas. But a lot of people would say, how can the party of organised labour in government in Wales be so at odds with striking workers? Mm -hmm. What do you say to those accusations? We don't get the money in the settlement to be able to do this, you know. And it's awful. It's And it's... Um, it feels awful, you know, like, uh, and I think that, and that's what it really comes down to. And, you know, people have said, well, you know, Welsh government, you're a camp, you know, it's on you about the Welsh NHS. It is in the operation of it. But unfortunately, it's not in terms of how much money comes from the Treasury to be able to pay people. And I think it kind of comes back to what we were saying about during COVID. One of the things that became very, very obvious was that the Treasury was not there for the devolved nations. Especially, I think there was at one point, like Northern Ireland were in a really, really bad way. The Treasury wouldn't give them the extra money that they needed because they were worse off at the time than the, anywhere else in the UK. And that's what's really been highlighted, I think, is that the Treasury, which we all pay our taxes into as well, is not there for all of us. And that's the biggest problem that we have. And it is very frustrating. It is very frustrating having to say constantly that it's the UK government's fault and blame it on the UK government and not be able to give what we want to be able to give. Shav, what's the trade union position on this? Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I guess it depends on which you need to talk to, really, at the moment. Um, but one thing I think is fundamentally clear uh, to me is that um, unlike the discussions, so you would have seen in the press, uh, there was like a big old meeting that uh, Rishi Sunak was finally, you know, saying that the, uh, the government's got to meet with the unions and there was like, you know, these discussions took place. There have been discussions here um, as far as health are concerned. Uh, there have been discussions uh, for education as well. And um, the attitude of uh, those that have been in those negotiating um, spaces has been, I would say, probably more positive than definitely what I've been hearing at a, at a UK level. So people have come, come away from those talks at the moment and said that um, we can see that there is a genuine attempt being made to try and find a resolution or find a way forward. But the fact of the matter is, is that we, at, at this moment in time, are probably going to struggle to find a, a position that everyone can agree upon. So that is why, from, from, uh, you know, from a TUC perspective, it's tough because we have a government in Wales that is much more positive about industrial relations, that is legislating on social partnership, that's legislating on fair work, that you know, has introduced... Um, the introduction of trade union education into the school curriculum. So there is a pilot running um, that has a race equality action plan that's in the process of introducing LGBT plus action plan, disability. There's a lot of positive stuff happening. But the fact of the matter is, is that ultimately, what is it the workers need right now? Workers need a decent pay rise and they need to be able to be in a position where they can carry on coming to work. Because healthcare workers at this moment in time are telling us very openly that I'm sleeping in my car in between a shift because I can't afford the petrol home or then to feed my children. We're hearing from, you know, teachers, teaching assistants who have got second, third, and in some instances, four, you know, fourth jobs now. We can't carry on like this. And there's so many vacancies. And if we are going to attract people into these sectors, then we need to be in a position where pay looks good, and the terms and conditions are there as well because people are absolutely like they're just exhausted. They're really, really tired. These are ultimately key workers. 
that we were clapping, you know, every Thursday we were clapping them and they were promised almost like a golden handshake, like a, we will shield you afterwards. You've shielded us during this period. We're going to be there for you after. And it's, it's a tough, it's a tough call, but I want to see more fight from all sways of uh, Welsh politicians. I want them to fight harder for Wales. I want them to fight for a better funding arrangement for Wales, if that's what it's going to take. Should we be raising taxes in order to fund well, pay rises? I, I think that that's an option. and I, I know that that is currently being uh, looked at. Um, but how many really wealthy people do we have in Wales? Not um, so is that really going to give us what we need? Um, it's, it's easy, isn't it, from the UK government to kind of go, oh, you've got all of these powers now, so you can go ahead and make all of that for yourselves. But, I mean, just look at the levelling up fund, for example. <laughs> how much have we genuinely got out of that? What is that going to mean for Wales? Very, very little. Sure, I, I do understand that. But, again, it's very difficult to see from the perspective of the worker when you do have these powers yep. and you're saying we're not going to use them. Sarah, what kind of internal yeah. discussions have there been about the prospect of using these tax powers? Yeah, I mean, what we've talked about is, is what it really means in terms of money and how much it could, it could raise. So... You know, we don't have the capacity either with the thresholds of it. We can put a 1p tax on everybody. That means that we would be taxing people on as low as £12,000 a year extra money. Um, and that would raise about £230 million. And I've made this point before, you know, free school meals for secondary school students is £260 million a year. £230 million is not going to touch it when it comes to an increase for public sector workers. So that's how much that would actually generate. If we did do it for just the rich, then we'd be looking at about £35 million pounds a year. Um, and as we've said many times in the Labour Party, if you're that rich, you just don't live in Wales anymore. You wouldn't put it as your number one place of uh, place to work. It's really simple. So that's not the way around it either. So, you know, the decision has been made, and we do talk about this in, in Labour Group, and, you know, Mark has said to us, he has made the decision that during a recession not to tax people more, to keep more money in people's pockets. Um, I think if it would touch the sides, if we could get there, Great, it wouldn't raise enough money. Looking at now the public perspective on industrial action, do you think that the people in Wales are starting to attribute blame to the Welsh Government? Do they know what sectors are devolved and not devolved? Do you think they're attributing blame to the UK Government still? Or do you think it's a bit of a plague on both your houses in terms of where people may be attributing blame towards the constant strikes? I think it's on both. And to be honest, like, so be it, honestly. Like, so be it. Because, you know, as Shab said, if the issue is the settlement, then we have to kick off about the issue with the settlement, you know? So, fine. If that's the, you know, if this isn't working, at the end of the day, it's not working for workers, then we need to take responsibility. And instead of just, keep, like I said, I'm sick of saying it's UK government issue. We need to actually do something about it. We need to do something about it for a really long time. So, that's absolutely crucial. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would say that, you know, during the pandemic, I think people started to realise a little bit more about just how much of health was devolved, for sure, right? Um, but no, I think at the moment, for the, for the worker, they don't care whether it's coming from Welsh or UK government. They just need action right now. And fair play. Sure. Well, look, I was on the picket line uh, with the Unite Ambulance Workers two days ago, and um, they were telling me, Shav, I earned £22,000. Um, this is all I've known. This has been my job forever. Um, I would have gone into retirement, but I can't afford to go into retirement. Mm -hmm. um, and for the amount that I get every month, £600 automatically goes to my mortgage. 
Um, and then I help my daughter out, um, who is in work. Uh, she's got to pay for her childcare, so I have to help sub that way as well. And um, I am literally, on a weekly basis, I go to pretty much every single supermarket that you can think of in order to see who is selling the cheapest eggs, uh, the cheapest bread and the, and the cheapest milk that mm -hmm. I can find. Um, and it's still really, really hard. Um, and what I'm really worried about is that the, um, whilst I'm here and I'm on a picket line and I'm fighting for my job and I'm fighting for my pay in terms of conditions, I'm also fighting for those um, that will be entering into this sector. But at the moment, I just can't see why anyone would, would want to enter into this sector. And, you know, during the pandemic, we saw so many um, student nurses that entered into the NHS and um, they have uh, chosen, many of them have decided that they're not going to continue pursuing that course and they've left university because they're just going, this is really grim, like I can't even see what, why, why am I doing this? And there are, when you're in a situation where actually working in a supermarket or a call centre is paying you more money and then for the rest of your time you can have a bit of a side hustle online, then why, why would I want to you know, put myself in that situation where it's really tough, the hours are really long, I get abused all the time. You know, people always just assume, like, because we clap them, or, you know, that everyone loves, loves these workers. It's, it's really not the case. It's a really, really hard gig. And ambulance workers don't want to be in a situation where people are dying in their ambulances whilst they're waiting to get into that hospital. And they're so stressed about it. They're so worried about it. The anxiety is out the roof. Um, workloads are a massive issue. So I think that there's a there's a, a multitude of issues. But like I say, these things have been building up over time. Yeah. And so it's gonna it, it's it, this it's gonna take some serious work to to make improvements. But you know things are changing a little bit. So for example, we now have a social care forum. For example. The Unison has, um, you know, made a case for how do we bring parts of uh, social care that's outside back in-house so that we can have NHS and social care aligned um, so that we can address, you know, uh, pay, you know we can um, introduce pay parity, we can have better terms and conditions and options and, you know, uh, for people and create better conditions. So there are some good, there's, like I say, there's, there's good stuff happening, but equally the day-to-day -day stuff right now is just really choppy and difficult. Let's talk a little bit about UK politics. We're not going to talk about the UK government just yet, but we're going to talk about the UK Labour Party. So we've seen a, an awful lot of Labour MSs showing solidarity, you know, yourself, uh, Sarah, with the, the CWU, with the RMT, um, even some with the RCN. Um, but in the UK Labour Party, Keir Starmer put a bar on his, well, a bar that was seems to be subsequently lifted, of his front benches joining picket lines. What was your immediate response to that announcement? You want to know? Yeah. We, uh, well, after it happened, the RMT were actually striking at Cardiff University, and me and my colleagues, after FMQs, all got all piled into each other's cars and went straight up to that picket line with colleagues from Plaid Cymru to stand with them there, because actions over words, right? So that's what we did. That's what we did. Mark would never... He would never say that to us. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think he made that decree? You know what was interesting? I was watching, I think it was um, Navarro Media did uh, a panel. And they had Zara on it and they had Mick. Um, and they had somebody who, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but he used to work with Tony Blair. 
And he was explaining that the reason why Tony Blair, for example, didn't you know, do this and didn't go on the picket lines and all that kind of stuff is because he saw it as, well, when I get into government or when I'm in government, I have to be able to be impartial and be able to help the negotiations for the companies and the trade unions. I don't want the companies thinking I'm on the other side. Now, that was the first time I'd ever heard like an explanation. It makes sense. I disagree with it. Fundamentally, I disagree with it, but it makes sense. So that's why Tony Blair did it. Maybe that's the way that Kia is thinking about this as well. You you stay out of everything, you stay above everything, you don't get involved in everything. Look, I madness to me, I'll be honest with you, madness to me. And um not not my not what not what I did. Not what we did here in Wales. Sure. Um <laughs> look. There were, um, I'm not going to lie, they, they, we, we did actually have um, Labour MPs visit picket lines as well. So it wasn't all Labour MPs didn't visit picket lines. So that's true. not true. true, true. Um, many of them are very much embedded in their communities and um, they may not have been on the front bench and therefore it was easier for them to do so. That doesn't mean they never got any stick for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but many... Uh, Labour MPs who are on the front bench equally were contacting unions and saying, I would, I really want to be on the picket line, I just can't be on there. Um, and I don't want the whip removed, um, but I am happy to meet with you um, outside um, and support you in other ways and ask questions and, and do that kind of stuff, which equally is important. Why he took that position, I don't know. I think that's a, a question f- for him, really. But you know, we've had uh, political support from, um, you know, lots of, um, we've had really good support from Plaid um, here in Wales. We've had, you know, good support from uh, SNP, for example, as well. There's been good support from Lib Dems and, and Greens as well. You know, the trade union kind of like family, as we call it, is really broad. And people always make this assumption that if you're a member of a trade union that you vote in a particular way, yeah. it's really not the case at all. And so it is very broad, but I would say to, you know, I, I'd say to any pod, anyone here really, um, is that always think about the people that you are voting for yeah. and uh, think about um, what their backgrounds are. Um, and um, it's very important, I, I think, part of this is to do with the fact that we, as working people, we need to really consider the individuals that we're voting for, what their values are. It goes back to the values and the principles on, on which they stand to begin with and um, what were they doing before they got to that point. So think those things through you know, really, really carefully. Um, and also anyone, I, I, I would say to people, anyone that's considering you know, entering into politics equally, one of the first things that you should really do is join a trade union and become a union rep and learn to understand what some of the issues are that are facing ordinary workers. Mm-hmm. And the best level of training that you can ever get to become a politician is by being active in your union and becoming a rep. True, true. Yeah. It's becoming increasingly likely that the next UK government will be a Labour-ridden one. Do you have faith that they'll repeal the anti-trade union legislation we've seen from the last few Conservative governments? Um, we've had, um, so uh, the um, Labour-affiliated unions, but also the non-Labour-affiliated unions like RMT isn't, um, but work closely with uh, a variety of Labour MPs. We have been talking about like a Bill of Rights almost. Um, and um, so, yes, there have been some discussions about 
repealing, but how far do you go? Because it's not just about what's going to be introduced on the 30th and, and going forward, but the variety of other pieces of legislation. Mm -hmm. um, from, from our perspective, it is about making sure, I, I, like I say to anyone, if you are a member of a union that is Labour Party affiliated union, you need to do your job and to make sure that your union is then representing the interests of, of, of workers. And secondly, if you are a member of the Labour Party, go to your CLP meetings yes. and hold your MP to account. Yes. And the same with your councillors, etc., etc., as well. And that is the way that you can then influence that. One individual doesn't make that decision. It's a, it's a party decision or a cabinet decision, at least. And so it's about influencing and making sure that you've got an ability to organise yourselves and influence in the, right, in the right way. How do you think we come to a conclusion here, Sarah? What, what do you think... What, what, how do we reach a settlement that works for both those workers who are striking? and feeling extreme pressure that also satisfies the Welsh Government's limited budget? Well, at the moment, they can give a one-off payment because they can't give long-term funding. They can only do it for now. Um, how much there is to negotiate around that and also who that goes to and how that is kind of uh, put out there and uh, disseminated, I mean, to the workforce, um, that is still very much open to negotiation. but. You know, it's kind of like what Mick was saying earlier on, you know, I've played this forward in my mind as well. And I know what you're saying. It's, I'm not saying that, you know, the Labour government will be perfect. I can't say that. But it's the only way we're getting out of any of this, right? Because the only way that we have hope that we will get a better settlement for Wales, which allows us to be able to do the things that we need to do in Wales, is if we have a UK Labour government at the next election. That's what I'm campaigning for. Even Mick was not a member of the party. That's exactly what he's campaigning for as well. And there is some good stuff. And, you know, as you were saying, Chap, like we will get to feed in as well as Welsh Labour members, as Welsh Labour MSs. We will get to feed into the UK Labour manifesto as well. These are the things that we'll be pushing for. And we are constantly saying to them, this is what we do in Wales. Like, for example, we still have the NHS bursary. We still have the trade union um, fund for training. You know, like you were saying, like I went to the Durham um, school to train before with Unite before I became an MS. I mean, it totally changed my mind. You know, it was very much like there is the working class and there is the elites. And it's, you know, again, what Mick was saying before, it's, it's kind of showing people that we are all in this together. You've got you've got trainee doctors striking. You've got barristers, trainee barristers striking, you know, like don't let them divide us here because the fact is, like, you used to be able to say to people, you've got about three months, right? If you lost your job tomorrow, you've got about three months before maybe you can't pay your mortgage and you completely run out of money. Nah, two weeks, four weeks. Most people now, honestly, most people, we are all in this together. And the wider issue here is that in this country, since the 80s, the gap between the richest and the poorest in this country has just grown and grown and grown. And it was turbocharged during COVID because we were not all in the same boat. They estimate that the top 10th of the wealthiest in this country actually made about 70,000 pounds during the COVID pandemic because their house prices were going up and they weren't spending as much money. So the the, disproport the the gap between the richest and the poorest were the second worst now after the US. That is the big problem here. It is about redistribution of wealth, as Mick was saying. That 
is the revolution that we need to have. And I don't know if until we actually address that and we make people actually start paying their taxes and what they should be paying. I mean, look, Coventry now, Coventry are going to be the first Amazon site that is striking with the GMB. They made over £200 million last year. They paid £10 million in, in taxes. We all know this. I'm sick of hearing it, for God's sake, you know? They're going to give an extra 50 pence to the workers. Like, this is the kind of stuff that we need to be focusing on. But that is the issue. The gap between the richest and the poorest is growing and growing and growing, and the Conservatives are making it grow and grow even more. And all of those things that I listed earlier on is going to make it so that we can do nothing about it. I know that's not a very happy answer there, is it? But I'm just being realistic. Like This is, this is what we've got to keep our eye on. They, they're coming at us in two ways here, and we can't get distracted. We really have to be able to see, and we, ha we have to be able to call out this legislation that they're trying to put through, otherwise we're really in trouble for a really long time. And I don't know how quickly the, another UK Labour government is going to be able to overturn some of these things they're going to try and do to us. It's fine, because my naturally cheery demeanour when I ask this <laughs> horrible follow-up question will just make everyone's spirit lift. So you've talked a lot there about the, the funding model we've got in devolution. Mm. Uh, we are so dependent on public spend in England. Mm. Is devolution sustainable while we are so dependent on spending of, what, of, Eng of the English government, of the UK government in England, you know, what would happen, for example, if we saw mass privatisation of the NHS? We've seen uh, former Health Secretary Sajid Davi this morning talking about charging for GP and A&E appointments. What would happen in Wales if that were to happen here, in, if that were to happen in England? Sorry. I think that we'd be able to oppose that in Wales, but obviously I'm going through legislation at the moment, and I'm like, no. And I don't think, I'm not sure if we have the power, if they would have the powers to be able to do that. I'm, I'm wrong? I'm not a devolutionary uh, expert. Yeah. Um, but what do you think the public perception would be in Wales, though, if that kind of stuff was to happen? Do you think that Wales we, we, would fight strongly for uh, its NHS? Uh, we, the point people use? here can't afford to pay for health care. Um, people struggle to pay for social care where they have to, you know, pay elements to, towards it anyway. So um, I think that the people of Wales would fight really hard um, for it. It might be the tipping point for Wales where True. all of a sudden. You know, this, the, all, we, we've been having lots of debates and discussions about, you know, what kind of system do we have? Do we have more devolutionary powers? You know, do we go to a federalist model? What, mm. what, what, does, what does the future of Wales look like? So I'm one of the commissions on the, you know, future for, for Wales, looking at the constitution or reform and what have you. And we have some really interesting conversations and discussions. So if you haven't, you know, if you're not aware of it, Please look at, look it up and you know respond to the consultation and and what have you. But I think that the the, the fact of the matter is is that we have to start thinking about um, what sort of Wales that we want. But we've got to start planning for that Wales um, as well because it, say if yes we have had a particular um, arrangement as far as devolution is concerned so far. You know, we've had a, a similar sort of setup of government that continues to return, mm. but always be prepared for the worst case scenario. Um, that worst case scenario could just happen. So we have to always, always have your plan B and have your like A game ready at all times. Like that's not me being paranoid or whatever, but as a trade unionist, you always have to have a, yeah. the alternative. You know, if yeah. like what would you do in that worst case scenario? I, so, yeah. I will say, taking it away from the powers then, because where is Richard Wynne Jones when you need him <laughs> to tell you? Like, you'd be able to tell me. But what I will say is, already, like, where did the NHS come from? We always attribute it to Nye Bevan. Yes, he was the one who kind of like pushed it through in the legislation, the policy. It came from our miners, came from our Welsh 
miners who decided that they were going to start pooling their money together, pooling their resources together. They were going to provide that safety net. They were going to have that collectivism. That's where the idea came from. That's how it completely transformed what we have in this country. We have free prescriptions in Wales. That's why I'm leaning towards, I'm not sure whether they would be able to do that. But we have the free prescriptions because we do believe that you shouldn't be taxing people because they're sick. You know, and I think that what I would say is that I think Shab is right. It could be, it could genuinely be the tipping point if they try to impose something on this. And look, I have to just say this as well because you know I'm obsessed with it. But this is relevant: is the fact that the UK government want to scrap GDPR and they've actually put it out there in writing and said it's because they want to trade it and they want to trade it with the US. And as I keep mentioning in every meeting and committee and everything that I'm in, we actually don't have the power in Wales. If they did that that would open up our health data in Wales. We don't have the powers to, to protect that. So if they wanted to start trading our data and their health data, and they wanted to start linking it to insurance and sending it over to the US, we are on that road at the moment. And I hope to God we get them out before they do it, because mm. then we're really in trouble. That is, again, that is the thing that we should be really worried about. It's not about so much them getting us to pay for the GP appointments. It's what they're now doing behind the scenes when we're all not looking with our data. And that's what I mean about the plan B. Totally. You've got to have that thinking and you've, and you've got to, and you've, you know, you've got to have had that network to kind of like plan at the ready. I agree. I, I've tried to put that into like the agriculture bill. I've been raising this with our agri agriculture bill. Welsh government are going to start... Um, to, you know, uh, collecting data from our farmers. Well, that could that would be very, very valuable to insurance companies, to, for liability insurance for farmers. And that's why I said we need to have something in the Ag Bill and the legislation that says what Welsh Government would do if that happens. On that cheery, dystopian note, <laughs> I want to say thanks to Sarah and to Shah, but we're also going to open this up to questions from the room. But because we're, we've only got three mics, I have to go and stand next to you when you ask the questions. <laughs> um, one from Sean, one from Neil, and then it's up. I'm going to go through that way, so I'm going to go that way, so I can come back to my seat. Hi, both. That was really interesting. Um, I suppose my question builds on some of what Matt spoke about and the relationship between Welsh and the UK Labour Party. You've seen other things over the last week, like the UK Labour Party's approach to the Section 35 order around uh, the Scottish uh, Gender Recognition Act, um, which would obviously is in opposition to Welsh Labour's policy around the um, LGBT action plan. Is there a gap in the values of the two parts of the Labour Party at this point, and can they be reconciled? Right, we're going to do all three questions together. So. This is really comfortable for me. <laughs> Again, thank you everyone for talking today. What I want to ask was, um, whilst we're almost certainly to see a Keir Starmer Labour government in the next general election, unfortunately we're unlikely to see a Keir Starmer Labour government for much longer than two, three terms. What sort of long-term planning do we have that Keir Starmer could bring in that would ensure Wales is in a strong position after he's gone for the future? So. Is that greater financial powers for Wales, so we've got more borrowing powers? Because I noticed that the Gordon Brown report was very short on, you know, options for Wales in the future. And I want to see, basically, that we've got the power in the future to control our own affairs, even if that's not full independence. Uh, I have uh, two questions. Uh, Cheeky. <laughs> 
I, I can't hold, hide my uh, middle-class origins, uh, but I did belong to a trade union movement about two generations ago, and I mean that. Prior to that, I was a libertarian socialist, and I haven't changed from that since. Now, um, my first question is that uh, the typical question being asked by media of anyone in a position to stand up and speak, which includes you two, uh, is how are you going to find the money for it? Now, I have a background in political economics and I know the answer to that question, but I'd be interested to hear your answers. My second question is, uh, as I've implied by what I've said, I'm very old. Uh, and <laughs> I know among uh, my people of my age group uh, and younger who are on pensions, Many of them are much worse off than I am, and of course there are many more who are much better off than I am. Uh, I'm getting by, uh, but I would welcome an increase in my pension, absolutely. Now, what I'm interested in is there are a lot of people out there, thinking people who have made perhaps a little bit of money in their lifetime, fine, they're retired, fine, and, and I don't want to take them away from that. But many of them do have a social conscience. Many of them would like to be involved, I am certain. They care very deeply yes. about this country and they would like to see change. How can we get, how do you think we can get pensioners involved in this struggle? Thank you. Good, I can sit down again, wonderful. <clears throat> right, do you want to take them in order? Yeah. Well, do you want to go first? I was, I, was, I was expecting the one, of course, about what's, what's going on between UK Labour and, the, and Welsh Labour at the moment. Um, I'll be honest with you, it's not, it's not that there's gaps, it's just that there's differences. And you said about reconciling it, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know if we really need to. The whole point is that we have Welsh Labour and we have UK Labour and we have devolution and we have Welsh Government and we have a Welsh Labour Government and we do things differently in Wales. Like between us today we've said like a number of things that we do differently in Wales. We have a different culture, socio-economic, you know, setup and everything. And I think sometimes that's just kind of reflected as well in the differences of opinion between maybe UK Labour and Welsh Labour. And at the end of the day, we're politicians. We debate stuff, and then we come to, um, I suppose, like a place where we all where we all get on board. But the difference with this is that we don't we don't need to, you know. I suppose is is the way I see it. So I'm not that. I don't worry about it. I'm not that bothered about it. What I would like to see, though. Um, and I've said this before, we used to have times when the MSs and the MPs would get together, you know, and they'd have chats and we'd all be in the same room and spend time together. Because of COVID and the absolute mess that's happened in Westminster, we haven't done it for a really long time. We're having Welsh Labour Conference now in March, and that's one of the things that I asked at Labour Group this week. I was like, can we actually all get together and actually like have a chat about this so that we can start to look at people's perspectives? And it, like I said before, it's not so much a political issue. I honestly think it's more of a human issue. We just need to get together and have more of these um, conversations. You know, that's what we've been lacking. I think. I think that's where we're seeing those differences at the moment. Chef, um, I could talk about the, should we have more powers? One hundred percent, we should have more powers. Um, what's what do uh, which powers do we want? Well, I mean, when it comes to employment rights, for example. So the Wales TUC has its own independent commission that's currently looking at work standards in Wales. 
and looking to see whether or not within the existing settlement have we stretched it as far as we can go to the maximum point to benefit workers in Wales. Um, and our uh, we've got an interim report, but our final report will hopefully come out um, uh, in spring. Um, that will hopefully then feed into the, the the independent commission as well. That's looking at a variety of things. Mm -hmm. um, so at the moment, everything is on the table. If I'm honest with you, um, Gordon Brown actually gave us uh, gave evidence to the um, to the to the independent commission, uh, and we pressed him a lot. You've spoken so much. It's basically like a, a Scottish pathway that you've spoken about. Like, where is Wales in all of this? Uh, so we did poke him quite a lot. Leanne did in particular. Uh, so that was fun to watch. We were all like smiling away. So I think she loved every single second of it, um, as you would expect. Um, but um, we, um, you know, we even questioned him on for example, his position on justice and policing and why not the whole lot and why the, the kind of like watered down, you can have a few crumbs and then we'll give you a bit more. Yeah. And you know, what does that look like and, and why was that his position? We spoke to him quite a lot about this whole idea, um, for example, about um, you know, having a, you know, getting rid of the House of Lords, having an alternative setup, but then if we have an alternative setup, where does that leave Wales? Um, where does that leave us in terms of making our own decisions? And, you know, we did, like, yeah, I, I can't say too much because they were private. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so we did press them quite a lot, but I do think that there is definitely, there's a change of mood, I would say. Um, and we did some polling as well to you see to ask people about their attitude towards uh, more devolution. Um, and um, I would say that um, it, people were really split at that time. Uh, but that was about a year ago. I think that if, it'd be interesting for us now to look at the polling to see if there's a, a change of opinion. Um, and um, the fact that more English people want devolution, you know, the, the fact yeah. that mayors are talking about this. Again, you know, people like Andy and others, you know, up north have, you know, been discussing this for a very long time and fighting the corner um, of, of, of the north. I think that there's something is changing. People want more power closer to home. I agree. And um, with hopefully the Senate set to expand as well, I think if the Senate is going to expand, then it's going to be inevitable that people are going to, we're going to need to then justify that expansion as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, really excited for what that future looks like. So I've got a quick question of, of Sarah. So what, to what extent did the Welsh Labour Group feed in on that Gordon Brown Commission report? Um, yeah, we saw it, like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, it's interesting that you said that, because we've got um, Catherine Jones is coming to see the Labour Group, uh, Welsh Labour Group next month, and then Gordon Brown is coming separately. I assume he's zooming in from Scotland. So I'm really looking forward to asking some of those questions as well, because, you know, coming back to, to you, you know, I said to Kerry earlier on, I was like, I was 12 when devolution happened. I was told it was a journey. And I'm on that journey. Where are we going next? Like, that's the way that I see it, right? So um, this is my own personal opinion, but I want, I want all of justice devolved. I want the family courts. I want to be able to raise the age of criminal responsibility from 10, like they've been able to do in Scotland, like they're consulting on doing in Northern Ireland at the moment. We can't do that. Um, I want to be, I also want to devolve policing. I also want to devolve human rights so we can align more with the UN, which we can't fully at the moment. I want all the workers' rights that um, Shav was just talking about. Um, and I also want uh, rail infrastructure. So whatever order people want to do those in, whatever kind of chats you want to have about that, how we go about doing that and all of that, then fine. But like I said, I'm on a journey. Who's coming with me? Like, we're not staying here. I, that's not what I was led to believe anyway.
I mean, in all fairness, what Gordon did say was he was very aware of <laughs> the fact that we had our own commission and he didn't want to step on our toes. And he said that very openly to us. So we, we gave him a bit of room. But nonetheless, it, it yeah, could have been better. Um, before we go, we've got to, yeah. Neil's two questions. Yeah. So interestingly, I was reading... Um, when we were listening to Mick earlier on, it reminded me, and you asked the question about uh, UBI as well, it reminded me of uh, the report that Guy Standin did for John McDonnell when he was Shadow Chancellor into Universal Basic Income, and the, com the question that he kept being asked was, but how do you fund it? How do you fund it? And so Guy Standin had, I think, identified, I want to say about 1,095 like, tax loopholes that he's found like in our British law at the moment that he thinks, if you sorted those out, um, could actually generate quite a lot of quite a lot of wealth, quite a lot of money, which he said. So I've always I've always been interested in that part of it. Um, but also, I think that we do need to start living um, more sustainably. I think that some of our trade agreements that the UK government have set up between like Ireland and New Zealand, uh, sorry Australia, New Zealand, Canada, are really not going to help us. Um, and I think that with the wealth. And like I was saying to you earlier on, the gap between the wealthiest and the poorest, a lot of it is coming down to housing. Uh, the huge issue that we have that a lot of the wealthiest people now are holding a lot of money in housing, they're holding a lot of money in savings, and then the poorest people in our country don't have any of that. And it's, there's a big difference between uh, London and the rest of the country, a huge inequality in wealth in London itself, and then just a huge inequality of wealth as well between the generations um, that we have. So I suppose... I don't, I mean, it would be wonderful, I don't, th did I answer, oh, what, um, what people can do as well to get involved? Agents. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, I mean, I know that Mick was saying earlier on about branch meetings and how um, they can be a little bit dull, but I have to say, and, and you were saying this as well, it's about going to your CLP meetings and it is about holding people to account. I would say that, and again, I'm big on kind of like surveillance and how, um, you know, this some of the bills that they're trying to put through at the moment would stop like climate activists from being able to say certain things online and stuff and being able to organise. I am still a big believer that there's nothing as good and powerful as being in a room all together and going to say what you want and not having anybody be able to kind of intimidate you or miss, you know, take it out of context and things like that. So I actually would say branch meetings um, are very good. My trade union branch meetings are excellent because that's where all the shop stewards come together and they tell you what's really going on in each of their sectors. Um, one of the things that I would also say is that with membership organisations like trade unions, like the Cooperative Party, like the Labour Party, like political parties, is that um, it, the work tends to fall to a select few uh, who tend to do an awful lot of the work in terms of organising, in terms of the internal communication, which is so important. Like, just, you think it's nothing, but doing the minutes for a meeting so that that gets out to everybody else, so that everybody else knows exactly what's happening, what the what the goal is, what the messaging is, what's happening on the ground, is so important. So, actually, my, my thing that I would say to anybody is that if you can and you have the time and you have the capacity, like offer to do some of the emails out, offer to do some of the help with the organisation. Because I tell you what I have seen, and it's happened in parts of our movement, is that there's usually one person who that falls to. And when they something happens in their life and they can't do it anymore, and they go, that disappears and we lose so much. Because this is about people. But I think sometimes if we all did like a little bit more and went to our branch meetings, I do think it would make a difference.
Shav, final word? Um, on what people can do, I mean, I think that, so the, the Wales to UC, we have been talking for some time now about building a, a broad coalition that people can join against the cost of living crisis. And um, it's been, a, uh, and you know, demanding fair funding for Wales, that type of thing, has been a bit tough because of all the disputes and, you know, where do you focus your attention? Um, and the priority has to be on the immediate thing that's in, in front of us. Um, but there are ways and means of, you know, pensioners joining unions. You can you can join Unite Community, for example. Other unions also have retired membership, so you can join yeah. in that way as well. Come along to events like this. I mean, from our perspective, it's really important that we partner with other organisations whose values that we share um, uh, in order to have more engagement directly with people in spaces that they would normally go to anyway. Um, and so organising from that perspective, I think, is going to be the way forward. And uh, what we have to remember is, is that when we talk about the working class, who is the working class? Let's be very fun. Let's be really, really clear. It is probably most people in this room. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because unless you've got about five times the amount of a stupid salary banked away somewhere and you have a very clever accountant that can go and hide your money elsewhere and offshore, you know, offshore accounts, etc., you are the working class. Mm -hmm. If you don't work, the, the, the system doesn't work. Nothing moves. We are the ones that create the wealth for this country. So when we talk about the working class, we are talking about the majority of people in this country. So I think that sometimes we have to like remove those stereotypes that people often have in their heads about what it is to be working class as well. And there was always this idea about, oh, the middle class, etc. But that's, that was really a myth. Right. It was totally. uh, it was like a it was something that we were fed in order to believe that somehow we could progress and we could move on to this other life. But like Mick was saying earlier on, it just means that you just you were able to get more loans. Right. You're able to get more debt. You get a nice credit card and all of a sudden you get a store card and there's various other things that you can do. And in your head, you live in this really nice life. But really, you're not really living a really good life. You're just stacking up debt that you then die and then it gets passed on to the next person to pay on your behalf, right? So there, there is, there is, this is a complete myth. There is only, there is the, the, this, the working people, it is those people who have worked all their lives, that have retired, whose pensions are not worth what they thought they were going to be worth, who are really worried about what they're going to leave behind for their children, um, if anything, they, if, if at all anything, because if we do end up in a situation like we already have with social care, where people, most people have to pay uh, to some extent towards it, the same thing will happen with our NHS. And if we're not organised... As, as working people, then, the, you know, it all falls apart. So I'm, like I say, I am really hopeful. I am really excited. It's hard because it's so tough out there. But I, I do genuinely believe that if we all stick together, people join a trade union, get active in your union, yes. get active in your community, you know, get involved in anything, any space, have a conversation on a bus stop. Have a conversation in a pub, in a coffee shop. All of these, all of these different things actually matter because we're all interconnected. And you know, it's not just about what happens in Wales or what happens in England. Or we're globally interconnected, and there is real power in that, and there's real power in unions. So if you're not a member of a union, join a trade union. If you are a member of a union, get active in your union. Billy, Bi Billy Bragg plays. Um, <laughs> thank you so much to Sarah and to Shah for being with us uh, this evening. If I could get a round of applause for them, please. <laughs> That's it.
Uh, and thank you all so much for you to come. Uh, if you don't already, please subscribe to the Hereith podcast. You can find Hereith on Facebook and Twitter at Hereith Pod. Uh, thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.